my name is Jeremy Brown. We've been going to Mansfield Bible for about 10 years. Uh, and is it Psalm 1 or Psalm 3? Psalm 1, okay. All right. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Good morning. You may be seated. Happy Thanksgiving. It's great to have you here as we uh, stand before our Lord, as we uh, get into God's Word together. I want you to, if you haven't turned to Psalm 1, I want you to turn there because we're going to uh, talk about that psalm. And I have one question to ask as we get started. Who do you go to for advice? And you'll say, well, it depends on advice about what. If it's advice about marriage, well, maybe a marriage counselor or maybe a marriage book or maybe you'll go to Right Now Media and look on there. Or if it's finances, maybe you're a Financial Peace University person and so you go to, to old Dave and, and, and get his input on that, on your financial advice. Or uh, maybe it's a good friend that's going to give you advice or maybe it's your spouse, you're going to get advice from them. Or somebody in your family, maybe it's your parents, maybe it's a child and you're getting advice about parenting, about uh, uh, you know, obviously uh, figuring out how do I raise this child that God has given me as a gift. Uh, you, you look at all these different things about life that we ask advice from. And my question is, who do you go to for advice? For many of us, it's uh, YouTube, right? <laughs> That's where we get all our advice outside the Bible is uh, go to YouTube, uh, Google it, uh, figure it out, read a blog. And the amazing thing is, is you'll get advice from all of those. You'll get advice from a blog. But is it good advice? Because here's the other, the follow-up question. Have you ever had bad advice that you followed? How many of you have had bad advice? Do I see 100% on everybody? And you followed it and you go, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Because it wasn't good advice. So just because you get advice, just because you see it on the internet, uh, it doesn't mean it's true, right? And so we've got to... We've got to be able to discern the advice that we're given in most cases. Well, this psalm is about getting great advice and about avoiding bad advice. And it's, in fact, as I think about following me, that's our, our, the, our series here that Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. We follow him, we'll become like him. We need to follow him. We need to, uh, one, seek him, as we looked at in Hebrews eleven six, that we seek after him and we'll be rewarded that we believe that, that, that we believe that's what faith is all about, that we believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek after him. And so we seek him. That's part of following. If we're going to follow, then we need to seek after where he's going. And we need to talk to him. And so we looked at the first week that we, that we pray and that I encourage you to pray for five because what's on God's heart are people. What's on God's heart are people. It's not the finances of this world that's on his heart. It's not how your, your, your bottom line looks. It's how 
are you in your heart? How is your heart? Is your heart fully his? That's what he loves. That's what he wants to get close to. And it's not just because he wants everybody under his control and under his thumb. It's because he loves us. He wants to be near us. And in the darkest times in life, he'll be near us. But there are so many times in life where we don't know what to do. We're faced with things. We're faced with decisions in life. And we can't figure out which road do we go down, right? I mean, when you come to a fork in the road, Yogi Berra says, take it. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yogi Berra, I love Yogi Berraisms. Come to a fork in the road, take it. What do you mean, take it? I love the, uh, the uh, uh, Robert Frost poem, uh, the road not taken. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that made all the difference. The decision that you make can make all the difference in your life and your eternal life. I mean, you think about it, we ha we're faced with decisions all the time. Uh, I'm glad that I'm not taking Dante's view. I don't know if you know Dante uh, Alighieri, who was a Florentine poet uh, from Italy. Uh, in the Middle Ages, he wrote the Divine Comedy, which was about heaven, hell, and purgatory. Uh, and purgatory doesn't exist, so he was wrote about heaven and hell. And um, he says, midway this, life, uh, this way of life we're bound upon, I woke to find myself in a dark wood where the right road was wholly lost and gone. Wow, that's depressing. The right road, wholly lost and gone. But yet, how many times do we feel like the right road is just, we can't figure it out, we can't see it. There are other biblical examples. This is, Psalm 1 is really one of the earliest biblical examples of two ways, two roads, two choices. Jesus picks up on that. He talks about in Matthew 7, a whole lot of two things. Two gates, two roads, two trees, two types of fruit, two houses, two foundations. And it matters what we choose. And we choose the road that God wants, not just the one less traveled, but the one that God wants for us to choose. And Psalm 1 says, you will be blessed. You ever pray, prayed for the blessing of God? You want the blessing of God? This Psalm tells us how we receive the blessing of God. Now, it, in this case, it's conditional. Salvation after we receive Christ is no longer conditional. The only one condition is that we believe on Jesus. Once you've done that, salvation is assured. You have the Spirit of God coming to reside in you to make sure that from the very beginning of your salvation to the time that you go to be with the Lord and glorified with him, that your salvation is secure, that you have an inheritance in heaven. I mean, praise God for that. Otherwise, I would have won and lost my salvation so many times it wouldn't even be funny. Right? And you would have no assurance. You would always be living in fear that maybe I've messed up too bad. And God says, you know what? I want to take care of that. I want to take care of your anxiety. I'm going to assure you of your salvation. That you have a place in heaven reserved for you, Scripture tells us. Wow, reserved. A reserved place that cannot be lost. Well, in this case, when it talks about just the general blessing of God, it says, blessed is the man. Blessed is the person. So we have this conditional blessing that we live according to the word. James talks about it too in James chapter 1. It's not to the hearer only of the word, but the doer of the word is blessed. And so many times we make the scriptures an academic exercise that we study and we go, oh man, I know the word. 
I can tell you the word. Are you living it? Oh, <laughs> well, not so much, but I know the word. It's kind of like my dieting plan. I know the diet plan. Well, <laughs> knowing and doing are two wholly different things. Trust me. It says, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. And my question after I read that this week is who would listen to the counsel of the wicked? Who would do such a thing, right? I mean, if you know the person's wicked, ah, oh, there's a key point. You know that they're, how, how do you, and then I thought, do I know anybody that I would classify right now as wicked? Well, there's a few that I see on the news that I would classify as wholly wicked, serial killers and that kind of thing. Would there be anybody in this room I would classify as wicked? Uh, hmm, I don't think I'd put that title or label on it. Maybe sinner, the next one. Yeah, we're all sinners, right? Wicked, we kind of struggle with that one. I don't know if I'd label anybody wicked. And so I had to go back and say, well, what is the definition of this Hebrew word that whoever the psalm writer is has to say? And the, and the definition is simply wrongdoing, being in the wrong, uh, somebody who hates God's commands, somebody who commits sinful deeds, who speaks lies, slanders, and cheats. Uh, someone who gives us advice to do something morally wrong. Those were some of the definitions in the Hebrew dictionaries of this word. And I was thinking, oh, well, I, I know people who have cheated and who have lied. And, 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 have, and most of us say, oh, it's just a little white lie. A little white lie is still a lie, right? Last time I checked. And so I think, gosh, how many of us have fallen into that category? How many of us have given wicked advice? I know that there have been times in my life, there was a time before I was a believer in high school, where there was a group of us that ran around together and we had always given each other immoral advice. Hey, let's go do such and such. And in your gut, you kind of go, I'm not sure we should be doing that, you know, but we did it anyway. And we fell in with the group and we all did it together. You know, there's a verse in Proverbs that says, he who walks to the wise will be wise and a companion of fools will suffer harm. And I began to realize as I, if I, as I processed and meditated on that psalm, who are the wise people that I'm hanging around? Who are the people that have certain qualities of life that I want to have in my life? And am I hanging around them? Am I being intentional about being around them so I can learn from them? I remember when I was in seminary, there was one of my professors, Ron Blue, who's the chairman of the missions department. And, and he, he said, I asked him one day, because he had such joy in his life. And I thought, I need to learn some of this joy that he has. I don't know how he has it. I got to see if this is real. I need to be around him and maybe figure out some things. Maybe some of it will rub off. So I'll be a more joyful, joyful, excited person about, about life. And so I, I, I approached him one day and I said, hey, have you ever thought about taking a group of students on a mission trip during a summer to be with you? Because I said, I'd love to hang around you for a summer. And he goes, yeah, I've been thinking about Spain. I go, I'm in. Spain? Yeah, I'm in. I mean, Spain? I'm in, right? Spain. I, and I want to be with him. <laughs> and grow from him, right? He got back a couple of weeks later and I said, I said, okay, Spain? He goes, no, El Salvador. El Salvador? Aren't they having a civil war? That was 1983. Aren't they having a civil war down there? Oh, yeah. It's in the news every day. I mean, it was in the news every single day. People being killed, shot, everything. And I'm like, uh, I need to pray about this one. <laughs> Amazing how pain I didn't even need to pray about. This one I need to pray about. 
And we decided to go, incredible summer, getting a chance to hang around with a guy that had great joy. Did he always, always have it? No. I got to see the honest, real him, but I got to see just this joy that just exuded out of this man. And I got to hang around him a little bit. And it was such a great experience, such a great summer. And I think that when I look at scripture now, I began to realize if I can't put a face and a name on this character quality that I'm seeing, then I probably don't understand the scriptures well enough and I need to go think about it a little bit more until I can put a name and a face to something. And when I see someone that, is, that carries a character quality that I want in my life, I need to go hang around them. If they know the word well, I need to hang around. What do you do? Do you memorize the scripture? Do you study it? How often do you study it? When do you study it? All those questions. And you begin to learn and begin to grow from those who are, uh, seem to have a strength in that particular area. When I first came to, uh, to Mansfield to start a church, I'd never pastored a church before. I'd never started a church before. I'd never been an elder at a church or a deacon in a church before. And I was starting Mansfield Bible Church. And also, I was a music major, not a business person. So I didn't even know how to buy a building. I'd never bought my first home yet. I mean, I was, I, I, and I moved down here. Okay, God, we're, we're doing this, right? God in his grace, I'm sure he was, you know... I, chuckling, I don't know. But uh, when, I, when I come down here, he said, man, I love the guy's heart, you know. But, uh, man, no experience. And I knew that too. And so I contacted a pastor in Midlothian that, that I had heard about and I wanted to hang around. And he allowed me to hang around his staff for about two years. Then he kicked me out. No, he uh, let me hang around his staff for a couple of years. Went to staff meetings every week. Went to lunch with him every week. Just to learn from him about what is it like to be a pastor and how do I answer these questions and how do I help folks. And, and I just wanted to grow. And I think that I was so intentional about it. And I think, you know, those are something that, that I still want to be intentional about. I still want to hang around people who, who are strong in this or that area of their lives. Who, I, I love hanging around new believers because they're so excited about their faith. And I want some of that. I don't want to forget what it was like. I don't want to forget who I am and where I came from. And so I think about a psalm like this. Blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Well, I need to know what that is. I need to be able to recognize that. And it's, if it's immoral, if it's something that goes against God's word, if it's something that goes against God, then I need to look at it with suspect, suspicion, and not just take the counsel of it. There, when, we, when we Google something and we look at a YouTube video, it's going to sound wonderful the first time we see it. Because there's, until we start reading the comments below, and then we'll say, oh, those people just don't like this person or whatever. And sometimes they're harsh, critical com you know, comments. They don't really aren't informative. But Proverbs says that one person sounds right. I think it's Proverbs 13. One person sounds right until another person comes along and examines them. And so the first blog that we read is going to sound great, going to sound right until we look and we find something that gives the other side of the story. And then we're going to go, oh, I guess this is a bigger issue than I thought. And I need to wrestle with some of the details of it. I need to meditate on it. We need not have a lifestyle that is in the counsel of the wicked. If you'll notice, it says in verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And that's where I began to realize he's got this contrast. Two, two decisions about what advice is, following God's advice rather than the world's advice. But the second one is, nor stands in the way of sinners. 
So you've got walks, and then you have stands, and then you have sits. Stands in the way or in the lifestyle of sinners. That first one is advice. So it's kind of more mental, more cerebral. Here's what you need to do, and you need to evaluate what you hear. But the second one is, am I going to just get involved in the path and in the lifestyle of someone who is, who is choosing the way, the counsel of the wicked? Because those two go together. If I choose the counsel of the wicked, then my lifestyle is going to be the way of the sinner. I'm going to be standing in that. What is the sinful lifestyle? It's one that misses the mark. It misses the mark of God's righteousness. And we think that we can bring about God's righteousness. No, righteousness comes by faith that it's imputed to us by Christ because we believe on him. And so he places it in us. He sees us as righteous even when we are not. And that one day we will, uh, when we are with him, we will have full righteousness. And we don't achieve it. It's something that is given to us. Because it's no, we have no ability to accomplish it on our own. Stands in the lifestyle of those who are sinful. Or sits in the seat of scoffers. Scoffer is someone who makes fun of other people. Ridicules them or their ideas or views. And we see that all the time in social media, don't we? We see people that ridicule and then they cancel. So they ridicule you, then they cancel you, and they try to get as many people to cancel you as possible so that they have a broad canceling effect on you. Maybe you've experienced that. We certainly have seen that in social media. Different people, different uh, uh, personages. And when you look at that, you realize, oh, wow, those terrible people that are scoffers. Here's something that I think really hit home for me this week. We are scoffers. I want you to think about that. The Christian community are scoffers. Because we will study God's word and we'll know it well and we'll know it so well that, we're gonna, that, we, that we see people that aren't living it, aren't living by it, aren't buying into it. And so then we see Christians on social media just reaming people out. And we find ourselves doing it. I can't believe that person's living that way. And we talk under our breath. Oh, I can't believe that. You know, and, and we say it and our family hears it. And they hear this critical spirit in us. And the question that I have, is that the spirit Christ wants us to have? Am I reading God's word and studying it so I can be a better scoffer? A more informed scoffer. A more biblical scoffer but a scoffer nonetheless that ridicules and puts down. John 13, and 34 says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. By this shall all men know you are my disciples by your love for one another. It's not by my scoffing. It's not by my intellectualism, my academic ability. It's by my love. I've seen more people love to Jesus and ever argued into the kingdom. Do we need to know the word? Yes. Do we need to understand how to share our faith? Yes. But it's going to be our love that gives them a reason to listen. When we love on people, when we care about people, they're not going to care what we know until they know that we care. And so we need to care. We need to love our world. We need to love 
everyone around us. We need to be such loving people toward one another and toward the people around us that people are just drawn in. They can't stay away. They, they say, I want some of what this is. I don't know what it is exactly, and I don't know how Jesus relates to it, but they all have it. I would love to be known as the most loving church in Mansfield, most loving church in this area. I would love for us to be the most, my own life, to be the most loving person. We'll make a lot of mistakes in that, and it gets real messy when you love people, I can just tell you. But when we do, we're reflecting the image of Jesus and not the way of the scoffer, not the way of the sinner, and not the counsel or advice of the wicked. It says, but his delight, I want to stop there, delight. What do you delight in? We have a lot of things we delight in. We delight in our families. We delight in, in, in so many things. I, uh, you know, we delight in our hobbies. We, we have all these delights in life. And my question is, is God at least one of those, if not the most important of those? Psalm 37, 4, have your delight in the Lord. And he will give you the desire of our hearts. And when we hear that, we hear the second part of it. Desire of my heart. All right, this is great. No, 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 listen to the first part. Have your delight in the Lord. If my delight is in the Lord, he's going to change my heart where I delight in the things that he delights in, which is people, which is why Jesus came to die. And when I have that on my heart, then he's going to give me that because that's his will. I know that's his will. We just looked at that in the last couple of weeks when we looked at Luke 10 2. The harvest is plenteous, the laborers are few. Pray therefore this that the Lord of harvest will raise up laborers to go forth into his harvest. And he's not just, you're not just praying, oh Lord, find somebody else to do the harvesting so I don't have to. That's not what we're praying. Praying, Lord, make me one of those. Help me to be one of those who, who step into your harvest. Help me be one of those who loves my neighbor as myself, who reaches out beyond myself, who makes my life more than just about me. My life is not just about me. I don't want to just live my life and then retire and then do nothing for the rest of my life and then that's it and I'm in the grave. You know, I've thought about that. I love to travel. But as I, as I get older, I think, so who's going to care that I've traveled to all these different places? When I die, all the memories are gone except for a few photographs. But if I impact people's lives, that can last for eternity. And I pray, Lord, help me not to just spend my life. Help me to invest it in what's important to you. Have your delight. His delight is in the law of the Lord. That's a figure of speech, actually, the law of the Lord. It's the word Torah there. And some people say, yeah, you just need to, uh, God's word. You need to, that, that's what needs to be your delight. But it's not just knowing the word that's key here. It's more than that. It's about doing the word. It's about living the word. And that's why this is, I say, say a figure of speech. It's a metonymy of the law for the effect of knowing it and doing it and living it out. Living God's word in our life. So we delight in the word of God. We delight in the word of God. So what do we do with the word of God? How do we get at it? How do we get at God's advice? 
It says, and on his law, he meditates day and night. That idea of meditation carries the idea. In fact, it's uh, in the Hebrew, it's actually an onomatopoeia. I don't know if you remember what that is, a figure of speech, where it sounds like what it is, a Hebrew word, but uh, it means to murmur or to mutter. Well, I do that a lot, don't you? Murmur and mutter. When you're working on something, oh, let's see, you're talking to yourself. Oh, let's see now, uh, turn it this way. Let's see, if it, it looks like this is the solution, but maybe if I unscrew this, but uh, then there's a spring. And, and you're, you're talking to yourself through it. You're talking to yourself through the process. You're thinking it through, trying to figure out, how does this thing work? How do I fix it? Maybe a toy of your kids. It may be, you know, a garden tool, whatever it is that you're working on. Maybe your sewing machine. I mean, whatever it is, you're trying to, you're trying to figure it out. And you're muttering to yourself. That's literally what the word carries the idea of, murmuring or muttering. It involves, the uh, also includes study and retention of what you've learned. It also involves uh, this idea of speaking to oneself in low tones as a way to establish or clarify proper thought. I know they put that uh, uh, illustration up there, J.I. Packer. So I guess I'll go to that next. Uh, this idea of uh, J.I. Packer, he, uh, uh, he wrote in his book, Knowing God, the idea of meditation. And I love his definition. definition. It's actually a long definition. It says uh, it's a matter of talking to oneself. Uh, give me that first one. Uh, meditation is the activity. Yeah, that one. Meditation is the activity of calling to mind and thinking over and dwelling on and applying to oneself the various things that one knows about the works and ways and purposes and promises of God. And you see all of those things in, Psalm, in the Psalms. The, the idea of the ways and purposes, but also the promises of God. You see a lot of them in Psalm 119. He says, uh, and then go ahead and take that off of there so that everybody's looking over here instead of up there. Uh, uh, go ahead and take that. Thank you. Uh, Psalm 119 in 23 says, I will meditate on your decrees. In verse 27, I will meditate on your wonders. On verse 48, I will meditate on your decrees. 78, I will meditate on your precepts. In verse 97 of Psalm 119, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And when it says meditate day and night in Psalm 119, that's also another figure of speech. A merism where you give the two extremes and you mean everything in between as well all day long. That it's not a meditation that you do just uh, uh, in, a, in, a, uh, uh, in the morning or in the evening. It's something that you constantly kind of come back to this idea of God's word. When you're in your car, when you're, when you're doing your time with the Lord in the morning, in the evening before you go to bed, you're wrestling with and you're thinking on and you're meditating. That's what I love about J.I. Packer's uh, definition. In Psalm uh, 119.99, it says, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. It's God's wisdom. And when it's God's wisdom, it's not only more wisdom than all our teachers, it's more wisdom than anything else on the planet. 
In Joshua 1.8, it says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. So that idea of all day long. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. So this idea of doing, not just knowing, not just academic exercise, but that we live it out. Psalm 19.14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Recognize that. We just sung about that. It's a prayer that our meditation is right, that our meditation on God's word is proper. There are times when we're doing well, and all of a sudden something happens in our life, and we're upset. Something comes along, and it upsets us. And we find our meditation changing from meditating on God's word to meditating on how this person offended me, how this person hurt me, how this person, and how, uh, you know, what do I need to do? What do I need to say to them? I need to get back at them. And we find ourselves, all of a sudden, it can be, happen like that. It can happen in a moment, and we have to stop and tell ourselves, stop, stop. Think about what you're thinking. What are you murmuring and muttering on now? It's negative. It can happen when we're, when we're working in a, on a project, and all of a sudden we, we, something happens, and we get frustrated. We bang our finger, and, we're, oh, you know, you know, and you say things about yourself that are derogatory. Man, why am I so stupid? How did I do? And all of a sudden, we're muttering and meditating on that. And we need to stop. We need to stop. I know I was talking to someone this week about that very thing, how easy it is for us to say those things and when we stop, we say, okay, what does God's word say about me? I've already said all these derogatory things. I'm a failure or whatever you say to yourself. What does God's word say? When God created everything in Genesis, that's a great place to go back to, by the way. Every day, when he, at the end of the day, remember what the recurring phrase is at the end of every day? And it was good. And it was good. And it was good. And it was good six times. It was good. The only thing he says in chapter 2, it was not good. It was not good for the man to be alone. So together. But it is good. Everything he created is good. And then when I'm saying, I'm a failure, I'm this, I'm that, what am I saying? God's word says it is good. I'm saying I am not. Who is right? All of a sudden, I've become my own wicked counselor. Because I'm saying things about me that God's not saying. And I'm not embracing what God is saying. That I am good. That he has created me. Yeah, I'm sinful, but I, I, I am his. I am his child. He has redeemed me. He has redeemed us. And we need to believe what he has to say, what his word has to say about us. That's why in Psalm 77, 12, it says, I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. And so there's that idea, meditation, and you can go ahead and put that first quote by J.I. Packer up. Meditation is the activity of calling to mind, thinking over, dwelling on, and applying to oneself the various things that one knows about the works and ways and purposes and promises of God. But he goes on and he talks about his purpose is to clear one's mental and spiritual vision of God and to let his truth make its full and proper impact on one's mind 
and heart. And so I let it happen that God works in me and I begin to embrace what he says is true. Then he talks about the process. I love this in Packer's definition. That's the next slide uh, of J.I. Packer. It is a matter of talking to oneself about God and oneself. It is indeed often a matter of arguing with oneself, reasoning oneself out of moods of doubt and unbelief into a clear apprehension of God's power and grace. Isn't that a great definition? Wow. That we argue with ourselves, we murmur, we say, no, this is not right. I shouldn't be thinking this way. This is what God's word says. Here's what my heart is telling me, and it is wrong, and it is not right. And I begin to embrace and say, God, I will, I will embrace what you embrace for my life. Because I know that's where the blessing comes from. Because he goes on in three and tells about the result. He says, he is like a tree. So there's a simile, a figure of speech again, where they use like or as. He is like a tree. What are the wicked like? Verse four, they are like chaff. Which one do you want to be? Tra- chaff or tree? I'd rather be a tree. I've seen the chaff, and I don't want to be it. When I was in Haiti, I saw a woman and, well, many people sitting there. They had this little basket, flat basket, and they had this grain in it, and they they were just doing this number, flipping it up in the air. And they had in front of them a little pile of chaff, and they were letting the wind blow the chaff out as they were throwing it up in the air. And I guess the longer you threw it up in the air, the more pure it would be. And then they would make, they would grind it and make their bread. And all the chaff was on the ground and people would just, you know, they'd get up, they'd be done. They'd sell their grain or make bread out of it and step on the chaff. That's all the good the chaff was for. And that's the picture that the psalmist is picturing here. That, that we're either like a tree or we're like chaff, which the wind just drives away, blows it away. It's no use. And this tree is planted by streams of water. When you drive around and you see this whole row of trees, you either know you're looking at a fence line where they haven't cut the trees down, but if they're really green trees and they're really big trees and they're kind of winding, you know, fence lines are usually straight. That's probably a creek right there. You can look at aerial maps and see where the creeks are by where the big trees are, even if you can't really see the creek or or, a little uh, dry waterbed part of the year, but it's got water in it when it rains. That tree's going to have a lot. When we spend time in God's word, we're drinking deeply of the well that God has for us. And he promises we'll be like these tree, this tree that grows. When we meditate on his word, that's a blessing. That we're going to grow in ways that we never thought before. We're going to begin to think in ways that we never thought. Simple things in God's word. Proverbs 15.1. Very simple one. You can, you, you can apply it today. Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You at odds with somebody? Think of a gentle answer. Because what I found amazingly, when I'm angry at somebody and I go to them and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to just, I'm wanting to tell them, I mean, I'm, I'm wanting it to come, I'm wanting to get it off my chest, right? And then I say something and I ask a question and find out they have more reason to be angry at me than I do at them. And the reason that I'm angry at them is because I made them angry and 
they responded and I did it first. Boy, that's really humbling. <laughs> the reason I'm angry is because of my own fault. Nobody wants to really admit that, you know. We want it to be the other person's fault. But the reality is it doesn't matter whose fault it is. What we really want is to have it resolved. And it's the gentle answer. And there's many times where that, the Spirit of God has brought that to mind at those times when, man, I'm, I'm ready. I got, I got a great answer. I got a great, I'm, getting, I'm, I'm loaded for bear. I'm ready to say what's on my mind. Give them a piece of my mind that I can ill afford to lose. And I just, I, I'm ready to lay it out there. And, and then the Spirit brings that verse to mind. And I'm thinking, oh, I, had, I was ready to, ah, and I bite my tongue. And I think of the gentle answer, and it's resolved. All of a sudden, it opens things up, and the discussion happens, and we apologize on both sides, and you just kind of go, wow, how blessed is that? And we experience that blessing because we simply meditated on his word. It says it yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. A lot of people who are into prosperity theology saying that you follow God and he's going to bless you financially love this verse. I don't think that's what this verse is talking about. Yeah, if I, if I obey God's word and I apply it, then I'm going to work hard and I'm going to save my money. I'm going to do exactly what the scripture says and that's going to be blessing in that by being disciplined in my finances. But I don't think that's the focus here. What's the focus on God's heart that we learned from Luke 10 too? It's people. Where is the greatest joy and blessing that we receive in life when we're invested in other people's lives? I know that this uh, last couple of months, there's been some real blessing that we've had. One of those blessings was Operation Christmas Child, which uh, today's the last Sunday, but tomorrow people can still bring their boxes till about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And... Um, we, uh, uh, we were supposed to, I know you saw an email go out, and we were supposed to load up the, van, uh, the uh, trailer that Adon every year brings the trailer, and we try to load it on Sunday after church, and, and what a time of rejoicing it is. And he said, well, because of work, I really need the trailer, so I'm, I'm going to need to pick it up on Saturday. And so I texted everybody and, or emailed and said, hey, 11 o'clock, if you can show up, come help. And then he calls me back, dispatcher changed their minds, and so he needed his trailer by 9.15, and I was like, uh, I don't have people at 9.15. And so it, he told me at 4.15, and that's when he found out on Friday. And so at 4.30, I sent out a few, or 4.15, I sent a few texts, and at 4.30, we were loading up. Here's the boxes that we had. We had a few, few of us show up to do it. And uh, uh, you saw the trailer. Back up again. I want people to see the trailer. Can you back up to, to that one? Thank you. Uh, and so we, we, he brought, brings this trailer every year, one like it. And you see the boxes, they went almost all the way back. And so then I had uh, David Lingle, because he's younger and he could get up and kind of, you know, hang on and not, and not fall off. And so then I'll show the next picture. Uh, and that's how full the truck is. You just see all the boxes going back. And we didn't fill the whole truck. One year I would love to just fill that whole truck. That would be great. But that's about 3,000 shoe boxes. It's about 200 of those cartons. And what that represents and this is something that's neat is, is our church, uh, you know what Susan's goal was this year? 1,500 boxes. And as of yesterday, we had 
1,496. And I think there's more than six boxes on that table. And you think about those 1,500, that's 50, that represents 1,500 kids. That's not just boxes, that's faces and people. 1,500 kids that are going to be blessed by that. 40% of uh, those who receive boxes generally accept Christ as their Savior. And so about 600. And about 10% of that number are teachers that are trained and pastors that are trained to share their faith and to disciple someone. So that's going to be another 60 that are trained. And each box impacts not only that one child, but about 10 people total, family members and others. So we're looking at 15,000 people that are going to be impacted by the boxes that God used and raised through Mansfield Bible Church. I am thrilled to death. Thank you for all your work, for, for your prayers. Uh, we still could use some money to uh, ship these things. It's about $9 a box. That's like 15,000 bucks for those boxes. And we got some money in for the shipping. We didn't get all, so we're trusting the Lord uh, for some of that. But there was another thing that happened uh, even this week. Uh, we got the opportunity and just put up the first picture only of this house uh, this was a house in Fort Worth. I was uh, working with Priscilla in the city, uh, Priscilla Sanchez, and she said, you know, uh, I have some places in Mansfield, but she said, I have this one in Fort Worth, uh, and it was really on her heart. And I said, Priscilla, for you, we'll do whatever you want, and we'll do this one. And so this was the, the house, the way it looked, and they needed a wheelchair ramp. And we've got a group of people, a growing group of people that would love to build wheelchair ramps for people who need them. And uh, we, you know, I sent out an email kind of to raise money. We still could use some money uh, to finish up the payment for this ramp. But we want to do, I told Priscilla, hey, we want to do one a month. And she said, well, I would recommend maybe six instead of 12. Okay, every other month. Well, here's the wheelchair ramp. Go ahead and show what, what uh, was built this week. They did a great job, didn't they? That changed that person's life. I mean, you just think about it, they couldn't even get out of their house and now they have the opportunity to get in and out. And so this was a, a blessing from the Lord as well. There's another blessing that we had from our church in the last, uh, in fact, just this last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, if you remember the guy that I met in Tanzania who was uh, ministering to Muslims and he was from Pakistan, he had connections to try to get uh, families out of Pakistan. Uh, and the first time I announced to you that he got 25 families out, he, he texted me a couple of weeks ago and said I, he got 45 more families out of Afghanistan. Praise God for that. Isn't that awesome? Now you... You add those up and you come up with 70 and you remember he wanted to get 75 out. I don't know what happened with those other five. We need to pray for them. Uh, we need to pray for those who got out because they're, they're just waiting. And, they, and I don't know if they're living under a bridge in Pakistan. I don't know what, how, what their accommodations are. Uh, but we need to pray for them that they'll get visas and stuff and they won't be just sent back. Because that would be their, their death. There are, and I don't know if some of these other five families, most of these families are, are uh, pastors and their families. Uh, I, I know of at least one family, and I don't know if it's one of these five, that decided to stay in Pakistan. I mean, stay in Afghanistan so they could share Christ. And I'm thinking, wow, they're going to be martyred. They want to stay, and they want to, and I, and I just praise God for both. I don't know that I could, that would be such a hard decision to stay or to leave. 
And yet, when I look at this, I look at all these three situations and more. A tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit. That's the fruit. To me, I think that's the fruit. That's the fruit. It's the, it's the lady that needs the wheelchair ramp. It's the uh, 15,000 that could be impacted by OCC. It's the 70 families that got out. It's the other five families, wherever they are. And I just think, God, that is the fruit. That's the prosperity that God's talking about. It's humans. It's people. It's souls. And so we need to meditate on God's word. And so what I would encourage you to do, I want to encourage you to do this. I want you to begin a process and maybe even write, meditate on his word and stick it next to your alarm clock or wherever you first, you know, you're actually cogent in the morning. You're actually able to see and maybe on your mirror and just say, meditate on God's word all day. And begin a process. You can ask, there's six questions that you can ask every time you look at the word of God. Who, what, when, where, why, wherefore. And the wherefore is a key one because that's it's what helps us to begin to do the word. And then I want to encourage you, begin to look for those who might have one character quality that you admire and you want to learn from and take them to coffee and say, how do you, how do you have this in your life? I want to encourage you to remember to continue to pray for five because people are on God's heart. Pray for five. Pray for five that don't know the Lord. Pray for five that, that maybe they've walked away from the Lord or they've walked away from church. Pray for five. And then begin to invite them to coffee and just see where the Lord takes that. We have a God who loves people so much that he sent his son to die for the world, die for the lost, die for this world, die for the saved. He wants our lives to reflect his. He wants our lives to draw people to the Savior. Let's be those who are blessed because we simply meditate on the word and we live it. Father, we come before you today and we thank you so much for your word. We pray that you would help us as we, as we think about it, as we learn to, what meditation is all about. We begin to meditate on your word. Father, I know that as we meditate on your word, as we think it through, as we think about what it looks like to live it out in our lives, that it will transform us, it will change us, we won't ever be the same. Lord, I ask for that. I pray that the meditation of our hearts will be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. Lord, I pray that we would take your advice and not that of every person around. That we'd think about what you want for us because you are the all-wise God who knows all. And I know as we meditate on your thoughts, then our thoughts, your thoughts will become more our thoughts. And your ways will become more our ways. And that's what we're asking for. Lord, I pray today, too, that you would give the people that are traveling in our church family, pray that you'll give them safety as they travel. I pray that they would have joy as they travel and that their focus would be on you. Lord, we love you, and we thank you so much for everything that you do for us. This certainly is a season of thanksgiving in our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.